Rinkwide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog. From sports odds to free casino games, make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pad here with you with a recap of Patrick Alvin's presser. As uh, we heard from the Canucks GM today, you were down at Rogers Arena, J-Pad, uh, just talking to the peeps before the NHL draft and, of course, filling us in on everything that's happening with the Canucks right now, including the OEL buyout. We asked for it. You asked for it. And they came through, and of course, you said, I don't know if they're listening to Rinkwide. Well, guess what? We got our answer yesterday. Yeah, uh, I know I had put in a request and others as well. Look, I don't know how many local media are going to be in Nashville for the draft, just the nature of the business and the fact that uh, a lot of outlets aren't footing the bill to travel. We're not going. Uh, I know that others aren't. So I approached the Canucks PR staff and just said, like, I don't know how much local media will be there, but there's lots to talk about. We haven't heard from the GM in a while can I put in a request? And then others, I think, uh, did as well. So it led to that, and here he was today. And let me say this, before we get into what Patrick Alvin said, you know, I, I still think there's a sense that it's not his favorite part of the job. But in a hockey market like this one, it does come with the territory. And yet, I think every time he does it, he gets more and more comfortable. Like, I thought we were going to get there, and it would be him sitting at a table, you know, sort of the podium press conference setting. It was a scrum, and... Yeah, he handles himself fine. So I hope that he and his handlers sort of step back and recognize that we're not all the big bad media, that there are just a lot of questions. People have interest in this hockey club. And even though it's the offseason, you know, there are a lot of things to cover. And he did. It was a wide-ranging media availability. Obviously, it started with OEL, but it got to Ethan Bear. It got to the draft. uh, It got to the coaching staff. And ultimately, a comparison uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights, the Stanley Cup champs. And so, you know, I think the most newsworthy nugget to come out of all of it was this notion that Tanner Pearson is improving. And that's the first time that we have heard any good news since November on the Tanner Pearson file. And Alvin said his understanding that uh, Tanner Pearson is hoping to be a training camp. So, uh, you know, three months out still, and I'll believe it when I see it. But it's the first even hint, whiff of good news on Tanner Pearson. So that part, at the very least, was encouraging. And let's hope that with three months that, uh, you know, there's still time for him to take the strides necessary to get that hand healed up so that he can hold a hockey stick and, you know, hit the ice with his teammates in Victoria when training camp begins. All right, let's start there. We got a bunch of clips here from Patrick Alvin. Uh, This is the full quote from Alvin. On Tanner Pearson. Uh, Tanner Pearson, uh, the, the indication that I have got that uh, his hand is healing. Uh, he's preparing himself to be uh, uh, ready for training camp. Where do you, and I, I think there's a lot of hope there as well because. Sure, you know, absolutely. But at, at the same time too, like if you're Tanner Pearson, do you even want to go back to this organization? I know your hands, have, and I don't mean to make a pun out of this, but your hands are tied really. But at the same time, too, like, there's got to be some sort of patchwork. They got to make up a little bit here, do they not? I Look, there's trusts that have been broken without a doubt. Sure. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there would be some fences that have to be mended, but he is under contract for one more year. And if he wants to be a hockey player, at least right now, he's under contract to the Vancouver Canucks. Now, when Pearson spoke at the end of the season, he said, I'm going to train as if I'm still a hockey player, which, uh, you know, at that point, he kind of walked away and said, man, like, that's tough. Like, you know, this guy isn't even sure that he's still a hockey player. So, again, I'm going to take Galvin that this is, you know, a step in the right direction. But keep in mind that this is also Patrick Galvin, who said he had no intentions of using a buyout on Oliver Ekman-Larsen, and ultimately the buyout happened. And so I'm not saying that Patrick Galvin 
isn't telling the truth. It's just that it's June the 21st and training camp isn't for three months. So uh, again, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that in the GM's words, Tanner Pearson is healing, but the season doesn't start today. Uh, he doesn't have to be ready for today. So let's see where it goes. And uh, we'll be monitoring that situation, certainly, as the Canucks work their way to training camp in Victoria in mid-September. All right, you brought up the buyout there. And of course, that was something that we wanted to hear from Patrick Alvine. Uh, the Canucks GM just stating that the time was right to buy out OEL. When this option was, uh, you know, um, something that we felt uh, uh, hockey and uh, uh, business, uh, it was too good to pass up to get this uh, cap flexibility create the cap space uh, this year and next year, but also gives, gives us a chance to plan for the future here. And we see this as a long-term uh, commitment, and, and uh, it's not just a quick fix. Did anybody ask him really, you know, where they go from this step? You know, like, I, I think I saw some quotes saying that it's not just about the salary cap, it's about improving their team. So you're kind of talking out both sides of your mouth when you say that, like, is there a plan in place here on what exactly they're going to do with this salary cap? And also too, is, you know, is it just to get better and make the playoffs or is it to actually, you know, get things in line to, you know, get rid of bad contracts to perhaps, I mean, because think about it, if you want to improve the team and you're going to get rid of some of these contracts, is that going to improve the team? Because you're going to lose a player perhaps that makes you better and make, you might fill it in with somebody cheaper and maybe not as good. So was there any sort of plan laid out here from Patrick Alvine? No, there never is by yeah, any general manager, yeah. at least not publicly. So this is not Patrick Alvine. That's just not the way pro sports works. And do they have a plan behind closed doors? Perhaps. And we'll see if they can execute it here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this dual track for a while that clearing cap space in and of itself isn't enough. He sort of mentioned that. He said, like, I'm not just in the business of clearing cap space. Now it's a question of what do you do? But he didn't, like, pull any one of us aside and say, hey, here's my plan. Take a look. Uh, you know, like, he wasn't about to divulge that. I know people want to hear about the plan, but uh, we just were never privy to that. Now, just go back to the clip you played, though, where he said... When we were presented with the opportunity on both the hockey and the business side, it was too good to pass up. I thought that was really interesting because obviously $20 million to make OEL go away, that's a business decision. But the hockey side there is, and he said throughout this availability today, you know, he, he talked about the decline of OEL. He talked about Philip Ronick. He talked about uh, the fact that like he likes what they've got sort of in behind some of those depth options that we've talked about. But basically, without coming out right out and saying it, he just said, like, OEL wasn't a good enough hockey player, certainly at the price point. You know, when you bring in Philip Hronick, he's going to be your second unit power play guy. So they kind of got to the point with the penalty kill that OEL basically was taken off the penalty kill you're paying him that much to just play five on five. And when he was out there at even strength, the, the numbers were not pretty. So basically it was business decision to get the cap, but some flexibility, but also it was recognizing that this was a way off a player that was a drag on the Vancouver Canucks. Now in the same breath, he was quick to point out, you know, an all-star human being, you know, he, he thanked OEL for, you know, two years of leadership and the presence in the locker room and all those types of things. And, and I, Absolutely. Like, that is what I know of Oliver Ekman-Larsen. Just a really good dude through and through, but you're not paying him 
close to eight million dollars to be a good dude you're playing them to be a good hockey player and and that uh, ship seemed to have sailed yeah i just asked that because i wonder and i think this is what some of the fans are wondering as well is like are they just going to take this newfound money and then just throw it at somebody with a bunch of term and and you know sign another mikhaev like they did last year and i'm not saying that mikhaev doesn't improve your team and you know we're still don't really know what mikhaev is with the vancouver canucks it's just the fact that they got to get this thing in line instead of just sort of filling it right up again and then you know a few years later being in the same boat so we'll see exactly you know what they do with this cap space and whether or not they end up just throwing it recklessly away again like you know kind of, they kind of did last year and there's a lot of people that will argue the fact that they they just didn't think and that we talked about it that they should have been throwing away money on free agents like they did last year right so i i want to get back to that point in a sec but because this is our first opportunity to talk to patrick alvin since the buyout you know, I, I wondered about any sort of pushback. Like, how do you approach ownership? Like, what is the first like, picking up? You know, are he and Rutherford sitting in a room? Are you, you know, who's making this call? Like, you call him. It's no. like asking your parents to borrow money. Seriously. You know, like, oh, like, just need, just, just 20 mil. Dad to, 20 can mil, I borrow like... the sports car? Um, you know, with the learner's license. Anyway, somebody made, somebody made the phone call to the Aquilinis and I asked Alvin, like, was there pushback at all from ownership when you floated this notion of buying out OEL. The discussion uh, between Jim Rutherford and the ownership and myself here, uh, I think this just uh, shows another, um, you know, how, how committed uh, the ownership and the Aquilina family are to uh, bring a championship team here to uh, the city of Vancouver. Well, and the thing is, is that Aquilini's hands were on the OEL contract as well, or the trade, I guess you could say. You know, he had to improve it, and everybody was saying that this is a bad move. The only people that seemed to think it was good was perhaps the Francesco Aquilini and, and Jim Benning. So he had to be on board with this. He had to be. Either that or he was just going to carry around, you know, OEL for the next, what, four years. Yeah, again, not your $20 million check that you're writing. So there is a real aspect to all of this that a decision had to be made, and they made it, and a lot of people think it's the right one. And now it's a question of back to what you mentioned a moment ago. What do you do with this money? Because like, it is flexibility. They have created cap space. They don't have $25 million like some teams do, but they've got some wriggle room now. And now it's time to you know, be like decisive and... Get it right. That's the danger here is because you're right. We've seen this fan base has had to go through a decade of just going into the open market and throwing bad money uh, after bad players. And it doesn't work out. And whether it was Louis Erickson or whether it was Jay Beagle or Antoine Roussel or Michael Dalzato before that, or, you know, I mean, there's this long list. It's about getting it right. But just because the Vancouver Canucks have been burned in free agency, like I've had a lot of people on my social feed saying, like, don't spend any of it. Just like for sit this one out, don't spend any of it. But it comes back to that dual track of improving. It's not just about getting your cap under control. It's about making this team better. And free agency is one way. I mean, the draft, developing, trades. But free agency is a way to improve your team if you can find value. So like this is where this year, maybe more than ever before, the Vancouver Canucks have to demonstrate the fact they've done their homework. The fact that they have their eye on maybe some unearthed gems, some undervalued players elsewhere. They have to be deliberate. And if they're going to get in on some of these guys that are on the open market, they have to have a, they have to have the discipline to have a, a walkaway number. Like let's use Carson Soucy. His name's out there an awful lot right now. You know, six foot five fits the bill penalty killer. Um, 
you know, decent underlying numbers, all those kinds of things. But he's been a third-pair defenseman wherever he's played, and he's excelled as a third-pair guy. And the danger, and we've seen this before, whether it was Tyler Myers or Tucker Pullman, you see a guy that was something somewhere else, and you think, oh, well, we can slot him in here and give him an opportunity, and he's going to be as good. It doesn't always work that way. Karsten Susi's top end may just be a third-pair guy. And so there's a danger here that as much as you like the six foot five aspect and the fact that he's a penalty killer and all those things, guy scored 10 goals in Seattle's inaugural season on an expansion team. But if you get into a bidding war, you have to have a walkaway number. Like you, you just, you have to exhibit discipline that they didn't in years gone by. Oh, Jay Beagle, you want a contract? Here's a, like, we're bidding against ourselves. Like, oh, you want 4 million a season? Sure. We are, you know, 3 million over four. Yeah, absolutely. We can do that. Like the Canucks have to have a walkaway number for all these guys and then quickly pivot to a plan B and make sure you've done your homework there. And that's why, like, so just because you got burned in the free agent market in years gone by, you're not going to abandon it entirely. Like that, that'd be foolish, but Wade in, show discipline, have a walkaway number, and be ready to pivot and be flexible on July 1st or into July 2nd. Like, I've seen people say, don't even spend on July 1st. Maybe. Like, maybe let the bad money go and then see what's available. That strategy doesn't bother me as much, but I'm not sitting it out. Like, there are only so many ways to improve your hockey team. They've got to improve this hockey club. So, uh, whether it's trades, whether it's free agency, I you know, I'll be, my sense listening to Alvin and being in the room is... He's going to be active here. It's just a question of, you know, how much do they spend? How do they allocate their money? And ultimately, what do they do to make this hockey club better? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just not to give away so much term. But that's the problem with free agency. And yeah. that is probably why the some of the fans are right, that they should just sort of sit it out, let the big money go, you know, let the guys, you know, spend like drunken sailors, if you will, and then see what falls into their lap at that point. Because, you know... Just they can't really aff- they can't afford another Connor Garland contract. Uh, they can't afford another you know Brock Besser contract if you if you don't think Brock Besser is a part of the, of the future here. Maybe also it is another Ilya Mikheyev contract. We don't know. We don't know what, really what the player is right now for the Vancouver Canucks. But I think that's the scary thing is just giving away term. I don't mind spending on a guy, maybe overspending a little bit. It's the term that scares right. me. And at the same yep. time too, like you are going to have to. Most of these guys are looking for term. So again, like if you are, these fans are probably right about the guys that are, you know, on July 1st, you might have to wait a few days to really get what you're, you know, sort of looking for. Uh, let's hear the, uh, more on the buyout though. Patrick Alvin saying just, uh, the buyout is now the first step in, well, their plan, but we don't really know what that plan is. My goal is just not to create uh, cap, uh, cap space. Um, our, our goal is to improve our hockey team. Uh, this definitely gives us a chance to improve our team by by uh, creating this cap flexibility here. So uh, we have uh, a process in place here where we had meetings with the pro staff and analytics staff and looking, um, you know, what areas of our team, how we can improve our team and, and uh, a constant conversation with the coaching staff as well. Uh, how we want to play and what, what uh, players that might fit into how we want to um, improve our team for next year. Uh, that being said, I think it, it's, uh, you know, we're going to be by see how we, how we uh, spend our money here moving forward. You know who's going to be the star of this offseason for the Vancouver Canucks? They're pro scouts. 
It's going to have to be their pro scouts. Like just to find that value, to find those get to find that Dakota Joshua, perhaps that you're looking for. We know how big it is in terms of the three C, but we also know their needs on, on defense as well. So the pro scouts going to have to be working overtime this off season. I will say this about this management group, and they were clear from day one about creating a synergy within the organization and we saw a lot of that during the season with Abbotsford. Like there did feel like there was, you know, a two-way street and they were observing what was going on in Abbotsford closely as they should. Uh, I think guys felt wanted in Abbotsford. They had the resources they needed. You know, just in that answer to hear the fact that, you know, they're meeting with their pro scouts. They're meeting with the analytics department. They're talking to the coaching staff. Like I do get a sense that there is way more of an alignment now uh, top to bottom in the organization than there has been uh, probably since they were, you know, one of the best teams in the NHL back in the that sort of 2010 through through 2012 run. So, you know, that's all great, but what does it mean? We're about to find out in sort of the next 10 days now how all these departments function together and do they ultimately uh, land the Canucks players that are going to help them get better next season. Well, they're going to have to get better on the blue line. Patrick Alvin acknowledged that today uh, at the presser. Yeah, there's no doubt that there is there is a lot of work to be done here in order for us to get better. Uh, we're well aware of that, and uh, uh, we're uh, we've been uh, digging in and, and checking in uh, what's available around the league and uh, being part of uh, you know for for myself being part of discussions that goes around here. But let's play this next clip though, because he does name check a few guys that might move into that role and be able to uh, improve from within. We're extremely happy where we are in terms of younger players coming into this organization. Uh, we saw last year that uh, uh, the, the addition of, uh, you know, Hiroshi and, and McWard was up here playing, uh, Philip Johansson getting in here, uh, Noah Jules and Jet Wu. The, those were the defensemen that I, I um, are excited about. I think they can come in here and, and uh, compete for, for ice time and roster spots. Uh, so uh, definitely it's, it's, uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, the market obviously uh, dictate what the sellers are. And, and the price uh, is somehow set by the, by the market. And, and that's where, where you got to, um, you know, uh, have, have a more of a clear view of uh, the, the future of this organization, where we want to be and how we want to spend our money. So I guess we can assume that Noah Juleson's getting himself a contract here. That was absolutely the takeaway from that clip and really from the availability outside of the Pearson update was... Noah Juleson's not under contract, and we were led to believe up until this week, maybe up until the Ethan Bear surgery, that like there had been no conversations between Juleson and the Canucks, and now you got the GM name-checking him as a guy that he's excited about. So, uh, yeah, that certainly is the way that I read the room with that response. You know, and, and look, maybe we're getting too deep here, but name-check Hiroshi, McWard. Uh, he talked about uh, Juleson, who he said. Jet Wu gets a plug in there. You know, Jack Rathbone seems to be the forgotten man. He didn't talk about Will Landon either. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, he didn't come right out and say that they've got something in the hopper with Noah Juleson. But, boy, listening to that, it certainly sounds like Noah Juleson fa- factors into their plans, not just at the American League level, but I think from that answer. I mean, you know, do you take it so far as to think, look, Noah Juleson, when he played for the Canucks last season, spot duty, limited games before he got hurt, but he played with Quinn Hughes. Like, if we've talked about this, like, Philip Ronick is going to anchor his own pair, and then you've got Tyler Myers still in the fold, and Alvin said he fully expects the 
uh, Tyler Myers is, you know, he thought he played better under Tockett than he had earlier in the season. And, you know, if, if Quinn Hughes, if Tyler Myers isn't paired with Quinn Hughes, then that makes him the, the third pair guy. And that leaves a hole with Quinn Hughes uh, on the top pair for the Canucks. I mean, is, is Noah Juleson the answer? I, I, I'm not sure he's the perfect answer, but he might be the short-term fit for the Vancouver Canucks. And again, the Ethan Bear thing complicates things. Uh, Alvin was asked point blank, like, are you going to qualify Bear? And he said, it's too soon to know. Uh, qualifying offers have to be out basically by this time next week. So it's not too soon to know. Apparently, it's too soon to tell. But uh, I have a pretty good sense that uh, they know what their plans are with Ethan Bear. Carson Soucy on your back end at, you know, close to $3 million or... Or Noah Juleson at, you know, maybe a league minimum, maybe a million at the most. I, well, I, but the, but those are lucky. I mean, Juleson plays things, both sides, so. though. So, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm wondering. Like, I'm wondering if the right move for them is to, you know, limit their spending on the blue line and go from within. We talked about it yesterday. And No, they, they, need, they need one piece after the bear injury and the buyout. They, they need to bring in somebody from the outside, and he has to be able to kill penalties because as much as you may like uh, Akito Hiroshi and you may like Cole McWard, you might like Quinn Hughes, and Hughes does some penalty killing, but we saw Vegas. like You need some heft there to move some bodies around. Uh, and that's why Carson Soucy is a name that, to me, fits the bill. But again, I, I'd be leery of getting in any yes, sort of bidding exactly. war because he's going to yes. be an unrestricted free agent, and, and there will be interest in, in him as a player. So... Uh, but I, I just think there's no way that they can fill all of their holes. Uh, from no, no, I'm just talking about that third pairing, really. If I think if you're going to spend right now, you should focus in on one defenseman, second pair guy, and your left shot, or excuse me, your uh, third center. Maybe you know, Kido Hiroshi's what 25 years old, 24. Like it's he's been been through four years of college. You know, Noah Juleson is 26 years old. Like, it's go time for him. Yeah. And if you think it is on a third pair, J-Pat, if you get your... I mean, I know Hirose needs a, a, a contract as well, but what do we assume he's going to be in at? It can't be more than a million dollars, right? League minimum, maybe? Yeah, if they give him a little bit of term, he can probably get a little... Yeah, I'd say a million-ish, but... Two guys under $2 million I, Again, on the third though, pair? I think with the Ethan Bear subtraction in the short term here... It's not necessarily a third pair. Like, I think Tyler Myers is at $6 bucks. though. I think he's their third pair guy on the right side. And so it's a question of who's going to play with Quinn Hughes. And if you play with Quinn Hughes, you're going to play a lot. Like, you are. And so can Noah Juleson make the jump from, you know, full-time American Hockey Leaguer who got a cameo in the NHL and didn't look out of place, but can he be a full-time guy in the starting gate from game one? And can this team get better? Uh, again, I need to, I, I can't answer that right now because I need to know who else is filling out the defense core. But no, I mean, just the, the mere fact that Alvin answered that question the way that he did, it, it tells you. And he said that it is year-end thing. And we've talked a lot about improvement from within and who, you know, stands to be the best improvement from within candidate. And the first one is, is Thatcher Demko, just bouncing back and having an entire season like he did down the stretch. And if he does, I mean, that changes the conversation for the Vancouver Canucks. If they get that kind of goaltending 50 nights a year, then maybe, uh, and again, this probably isn't the best way to build a contender, but maybe the thinking in the short term is to, you know, lean on Demko, hope that you get uh, some of these guys stepping up and playing a little bit above their weight, and then bring in, as you said, one piece through trade or free agency and 
sort of patchwork your defense that way. But uh, certainly that you know that's not the blueprint to build what the Vegas Golden Knights had. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's just there's still a long, long way to go. No. There. Yeah. It's a far cry from Shea Theodore right. and Alex Petrangelo on your on your blue line. I, I just worry about uh, someone like Carson Soucy getting that second pair and getting you know three and a half to four million dollars over four or five years. Like, yeah. I, I don't yeah, want that. Absolutely, I do not want. That. No, that's that's way past the walk away point yeah. for me. Yeah. All right, uh, the Canucks. Of course, a lot of people talking about whether or not uh, what are they going to do at the draft? Are they going to move up? Patrick Alvine uh, talked about that today. You know, there is a lot of. Uh calls uh, regarding pick number 11 and and i'm looking at uh, options if we're gonna trade up uh if, if that's if that's something we, we have a chance to do uh to get a player that their scouting staff has identified to be uh, uh a more intriguing player than the one we're gonna get at 11. if you could package 11 and perhaps connor garland for a piece that can work for you maybe it's that uh, defenseman you're looking for maybe it's that uh 3c you're looking for do you do it or do you need that draft pick in your system? Do you think? I know we've batted this around a little bit before. Well, it, it yeah, no, it was funny, and and I, I, and this is sort of taking people inside the room there today. Like, I think a lot of people had sort of wrapped their heads around or considered the idea of the Canucks moving back in the draft to gain an asset, and maybe from there try to create some cap space. Now they've bought out OEL, so they've got the cap space. And when Alvin mentioned trading up in the draft. Like, just looking across the scrum to others that were there, like, it, it was clear that we were all kind of like, oh, moving up in the draft. Hmm, okay. Um, you know, we'll see if it happens. It's one of those things that always gets talked about uh, ahead of the draft and and usually doesn't happen, right? Like, most teams that have a top 10 pick, they're not looking to trade out. And history tells you that it's pretty hard to trade into the top 10. But at 11... I mean, if we're talking about moving into eighth or seventh, I mean, that's more likely than the Canucks moving all the way up to, to third or fourth. So, um, you know, let's see how things play out here. But, uh, you know, the fact that he floated it, it at least gives us something to talk about. But, you know, he didn't rule it out. He didn't come right out and say, like, there's no way that we are trading up in this draft. Uh, yeah, so we'll see how, you know. Yeah, but let's talk in reality, though. Like, uh, that, like you said, that's going to be a tough thing to do. I don't think they have the pieces to be able to do that Neither as do well. And, and 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 really, they've got some holes. Like again, like I said, do do they need to make this draft pick? If they could make a player on a contract that they don't like go away and get that piece back that they're looking for, whether it's the three C, whether it's the you know second pair defenseman, like do you do it? You know, and I guess that depends on the player and you know the the age of the player, the contract, everything else, but. You know, are there people out there that are steadfast? Like, no, 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 they have to make this pick. And and mainly because of, you know, mistakes of the past in the draft. Yeah, look, they've got to come out of this. I've been consistent on this. They need a first rounder. I mean, I was open to them trading down, you know, that scenario with the Blackhawks in 19 and, and the Hawks getting two picks in the top 11 to really fuel their rebuild. Like, that made sense. I could see it. It made sense from a Chicago standpoint, and it still does. Like, I'm not ruling that out entirely. But if you're the Canucks... And there's a player that starts to slip and is on the board at eight. And, you know, the team that currently holds the eighth pick has their eye on somebody else that they think they can get at 11. You know, will they listen if the Canucks say, hey, we'll swap first rounders and trade Nils Hoaglander in, you know, like that kind of deal? Like, what would it take to move up those three spots uh, ultimately, that's up to the team that holds the cards with the eighth pick. But, you know, like the Canucks don't have a ton of trade chips. They don't have a second round pick. 
You're right about Hoaglander, though. Hoaglander could be something that perhaps could sweeten that sort of deal. Right. Could that yeah. get you enough to move up three spots yeah. at that stage of the draft? And, you know, there are a lot of teams, I think, that like Nils Hoaglander and the connection like Nils Hoaglander. But uh, anyways, let's see where it plays out. I mean, it's just the fact that Elvin mentioned it got people looking and here we are talking about it. And, you know, that's the beauty. We're a week away. Like, we are one week out from that first round of the draft. So, you know, everything right now is on the table. What about uh, EP40 and the contract talks? Where are those going right now? Patrick Alvim was asked that. You know, I think Elias is a top player for this team. Uh, he, uh, his performance over the last season put him in the top, I would say, top 10, 15 players in the league. Um, he has a great future. Um, I want to have him part of this organization moving forward, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation with him. Uh, the good thing is there is no rush. Uh, we still have uh, his rights for another two years. Uh, uh, so we'll see where, where it goes from here. High praise. Don't know if I agree with that, but high praise. Top 10 or 15 uh, in the league. Yeah, now, he, was in, he yeah. wasn't scoring this season. Yeah. But but how long does it take for you to get to Elias Pettersson when you start rattling off all the guys in the league? Again, no, fair enough. Argue. I mean, he, yeah. but those are he's his, very good those are his words, good and I'm sure J.P. Yes. Barry's can't, you know, oh, he's like, their ears go up. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> I have a funny feeling Alvin may hear that phrase sort of repeated back to him yes. at some point yeah. here whenever they get together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you talked about him getting a little more comfortable. That might be one afterwards. He's like, oh, geez, probably, should have, probably shouldn't have said that one. We'll see where this goes. I know we've batted it around a little bit, though. I don't expect anything uh, over the next little while here with Elias Patterson. But again, we'll we'll keep monitoring that. Lastly, uh, Patrick Alvin was asked about uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. We know how much his head coach admires that team uh, here's the gm on what he likes about vgk i thought uh, their depth was really good uh, um, interesting uh, going through the all the goal as they did but they find a way to play and i think they trusted the, the way they played and and uh, um, i think they're you know they're they're a big team. Uh, I thought during the year we competed uh, uh, really good against Vegas. Uh, maybe they took us light at some times, but I also thought that their speed um, created some difficulties for them. Uh, and uh, a guy like JT Miller, uh, we used him in a kind of a shutdown role against a lot of those bigger, heavier teams, and, and he was excellent in that regards. Um, I think there is a different way how how to win, and obviously uh, Vegas find their way, and uh, they did really well. Perhaps they took us lightly. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. Did, did he say he thought the Canucks speed caused problems yeah, for yeah, Vegas. Yeah, he did say that. At yeah. first, I was like, yeah. "No, I, Vegas's speed caused problems." Now the Canucks had the game remember, early in the season. They went in, they thumped Vegas on a Saturday night. Uh, it was a five nothing or five to one, um, but after that uh, they also had a night where they had a big lead in the third period, and imagine that it got away from the Canucks and Vegas came back. Uh, but what I think was really instructive there was it was a question about Vegas, and he dropped this notion of JT Miller playing straight up as a shutdown guy. You know, we're ten days out from Miller's no trade clause kicking in, and here's Patrick Elvine pumping up the tires of JT Miller as a shutdown center. Uh, I think you can probably put uh, any of the trade JT talk 
to bed here. I mean, just reading between the lines, that certainly sounded like a GM who I would say more than pencil, like that sounded like ballpoint pen on the depth chart uh, down the middle, you know, for JT Miller. Was that a bit of a shot at the goaltending situation there with with, uh, Vegas? Because, I mean... I didn't take it that way. I think he was just, we've all identified the fact that they've created such a good team in front of the goaltenders that it really was plug and play to the point that, you know, they use five different guys and uh, they all seem to have different levels of success. So I, I didn't take that as a shot. I think he was just remarking the fact that, you know, they went through a bunch of goalies and the common thread was that it didn't matter who was in, uh, they were getting the job done. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. I like this poll question that you put out on Twitter. Usually uh, it's the Rinkwide Vancouver account that's putting these out, but you did it on your own personal account and we piggyback off it. The question you had is one week. Uh, to the first round of the NHL draft. In reality, 10 days from knowing basic framework of the Canucks roster for next season. Exciting times for many, nerve-wracking for others. Are you optimistic, nervous, frightened, or call me in September? There's a thousand votes on the nose right now, (laughs) J-Pat. And it's pretty close, actually. But call me in September at 30.5% is in the lead. Uh, I voted optimistic at 25.1%. That's actually in third. 26% saying nervous with 18.4% saying frightened. So a good uh, poll in terms of uh, spreading it out across all four. But to me, I'm optimistic. I want to see exactly what this Canucks... The team can do. I want to see what uh, Alvin and Rutherford can pull off here because this is their time of the year. I said, you know, the pro scouts got to shine. Well, they got to shine this time of the year, especially with the mess that they have to clean up. And they're starting to do a decent job at that. Yeah, I didn't vote on my own poll, but uh, I, I would vote optimistic too. I want to believe, like, I want to cover good hockey. And and so I want to believe one of these years, they are going to get it right. And we're going to start to see some traction and then moving in the right direction. Uh, I'd like to see them still continue this challenge to clear more cap space. So uh, bang that drum hard about moving Garland or Besser or, you know, whatever it takes. But yeah, I'm optimistic, but I understand, like, look, I've covered this team for 20 plus years. Certainly this past decade, I can understand the scar tissue that is built up in the minds of some fans, especially around this time of the year. I mean, the Canucks, if you went back over the last decade, I mean, clearly they would be the worst team in the league on July 1st in free agency. Like it just, you know, just bad contract after bad contract. And so I get it. The other thing that I kind of laughed at when I put call me in September, you know, you and I, this is what we do for a living. Like we cover this team. No detail is too small. We talk to an audience for the most part that is hardcore right? Like they want the details. They want to go scratch way below the surface and all that kind of stuff. But 
it's a reminder that there are a lot of fans out there that the season ends, they kind of go away. You know, the draft and free agency will pique their interest and then they'll go away again. And then training camp rolls around and they're like, all right, like, let's see what this team can do. So there are a lot of people out there that are casual fans and they don't live with every minute and every move that the Vancouver Canucks make. So I'm not surprised that call me in September. I mean, look, those are fans too. and Everybody's got different levels of fandom. Uh, but I do think sometimes I, I forget that there are, ca- there are casuals out there. Imagine that. Like, that's not for me, uh, but there are casuals out there. And I think some of them probably weighed in on the poll question. Poll question's presented by Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage. Nothing casual about Jason when it comes to mortgages. Except his style. He's a casual guy that way, but uh, he gets it buttoned down when it comes time to get the work done. Yeah, 30 years in the mortgage industry, and he's here to help uh, the banks. They don't need help on their side, but you might when you go up against the banks and you're trying to grind for the best deal possible. Jason's got all the info. He knows all the options and all of uh, the roads that you can travel down to find the right product for you and your family. So get them on your side. Reach out with a phone call, Jason Hominick, and the website is jason.mortgage. All the contact info is there. Again, look them up online, Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage. Alexander McGillney might need uh, Jason Hominick on his side right now because he needs a bunch of people on his side, really. Well, he's not buying a home in the Hockey Hall of Fame. No, we know that. but he should. He should be. I mean, he got snubbed once again by the Hockey Hall of Fame in the class of 2023 Five players going in, Mike Vernon, a lot of goalies in this too, uh, Pierre Turgeon, Caroline Olette, uh, Henrik Lundqvist, Tom Barrasso are your, go- are your players going in this year. And I don't know, when I look at that class, I can see an argument for Pierre Turgeon. I believe he was the highest scoring guy that's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame right now. And of course now he is in. But Mike Vernon, J-Pat, Mike Vernon over Alexander Mogilny. You know, I can see Barrasso, I, I, but Mike Vernon and and we said uh, we, though, went, we, 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 we went over Lundqvist well, yesterday. We well. said it was a weird year that yeah. you know this was the year that some guys I think were going to kind of squeeze their way in, and anybody that gets the call, the call to the hall, like I don't want to diminish it at all. Uh, but the McGillney thing now, like it's so clear that politics are at play here. And you do have to wonder. I mean, we talked about Sergey Gonchar with numbers as well. Uh, what do those two guys have in common other than that they racked up numbers in the NHL over lots of years? They're Russians. And I do wonder if there is sort of a, a backlash right now, just given the geopolitical circumstances in the world. But, you know, what they accomplished on the ice was before uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Like that, that shouldn't be held against them. But it kind of every year, it just feels like. Uh, somebody's got something out for Alex McGillney, and I don't get it. I mean, we laid it pretty clear here yesterday. We both thought that uh, his numbers should get him in. So, yeah, it's a different crop. I mean, goalies have been underserved, so I I guess I'm kind of glad to see the market correction in that regard. But, uh, again, I kind of thought this would be the year that Curtis Joseph would probably get the nod, and he doesn't, but Barrasso and Mike Vernon do. So, you know, they were very good in their time, but... You know, is it the Hall of Very, Very Good or is it the, you know, the Hall of Fame? And I always said my kind of borderline, you know, my my baseline, I guess, is if you have to ask, right? Like if you have to stop and think about it, you know, that probably tells you that as good as a guy was, that maybe he ought to fall just short of making it into the Hockey Hall of Fame. But we don't have the votes. We don't know how the votes go down. It's the dumbest secretive thing around. Nobody has to answer for it. They're not allowed to speak publicly. 
And uh, it just seems crazy to me that uh, there is no accountability. Like, we should find out who voted for whom and and why. I think yesterday, I got to clarify a little bit on on Lundquist yesterday. It's not that I didn't think he was a Hall of Famer, because the Hockey Hall of Fame is not the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Good. And I believe that he needs to be in there. And I think I got hung up on the first ballot thing. That's more of a baseball thing, I think, more than anything else. And, of course, with the way this class was. But, like... Did Henrik Lundqvist do enough in his career that he's first ballot and Vernon and Barrasso both had to wait? Like, Barrasso was a Vesna winner. He's got a couple of cups. So, uh, again, we'll be here forever on this, though. <clears throat> I know. And the guys that have to wait, like, it, it, sometimes it is, like, why now? It's hard to figure out. But, you know, again, some years there are four clear-cut choices. And if you missed yesterday's episode, a maximum of four male skaters two female skaters, and then you've got the builders and and others, officials and and those types of coaches. Uh, Good for Ken Hitchcock. You know me. I like to color carry the Kamloops Blazers colors. And so, uh, you know, Hitch has just been a lifer. Uh, This guy's uh, pretty much done it all in the game of hockey. I think he's probably done now, uh, but he could put his feet up and, and, you know, walk through the Hockey Hall of Fame front doors and feel good about all of his accomplishments uh, going back to his junior days and, you know, from the uh, early beginnings of a uh, running a sporting goods store and being a coach in Edmonton to climbing the ranks and uh, getting all the way to the Stanley Cup and then, uh, you know, the Hockey Hall of Fame. So pretty cool to see Ken Hitchcock uh, get his call to the Hall. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Freakwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to play free casino games and get the latest sports odds. Let's get the latest odds on Game 7 of the Calder Cup Final, j It's going down tonight in Coachella Valley. Hey, yeah. well done. It'll take me a while, but I think I'll Damn, get this. I was, gonna, I was ready to take the ferry <laughs> over to the couch. couch and... Big game tonight. <laughs> Alberta's Where is in everybody? <laughs> Where is everybody? <laughs> This doesn't have a Game 7 feel at all. Yeah, where is There's no ice, yeah. no ice in the arena yeah. there. They've taken it out. Kids are playing the cross. Uh, Coachella Valley right now. The, it's, the line's moved a little bit at minus 152 now. So uh, I think it was 136 yesterday with Hershey at plus 115. I still like the Firebirds on the puck line tonight. I feel like Coachella Valley is going to get it done at minus a goal and a half at plus 180. That's where my money is going to go tonight. We'll have our eye on game seven of the Calder Cup final. It'd be kind of cool. Uh, again, I, I have no ties to either team, but we just saw the upstart Vegas Golden Knights win a Stanley Cup in their sixth year of existence. Yeah. Like Seattle operated last year sharing a farm team with Carolina, I think. Uh, like they didn't have a Florida. They didn't have their own. This is the first year for the Coachella Valley 
Firebirds. So, you know, that'd be pretty cool. They, and apparently, like, they just packed the place down there in Palm Springs. And uh, I was there in January. I didn't go to a game, but I drove past the arena a couple of times. And, you know, brand new building. And you kind of think Palm Springs, sleepy Palm Springs. But apparently there's been full buy-in and they may have themselves a champion on their hands uh, at the end of the night. So good story there. Yeah, and on the Kraken socials, they're quite proud of that team as well. They're they're proud of the fact that they're uh, in a Call of the Cup final. So yeah, pretty cool spot to play hockey too down in uh, Coachella Valley there. Like, you can get to golf all the time, J-Pat. I think uh, well, you, I do you like wonder, it. Like, yeah, Anaheim's got its farm team in San Diego, another great place, yeah. uh, non-traditional hockey market. But like, I do wonder if you're late in your career and you're sort of, uh, you know, you're trying to stay in the game and maybe you're a tweener, like, does that, you know, play into yes. Seattle's hands that yes. like, guys know <laughs> that they're going to get sent to Palm Springs as opposed to Peoria or somewhere? Uh, I would agree with you. I think, yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, so maybe they get a few veterans along the way that, you know, are in the system and, you know, can still play, get the call up, contribute at the NHL level. But uh, if you get sent down, you know that you're going to Palm Springs and there are worse places to go in the middle of the winter. Uh, hold on. The mayor of Peoria is on line one right I'm now sure for you. All right. Well, it's great to hear from Patrick Alvine, and it's good to know that uh, we got a lot of news that's ahead of us here on Rinkwide Vancouver because this has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. Oh, it's the show.